We'll build you a set of wedges with the lofts you want, the shaft you want, the flex you want. We'll build it an inch long, one degree upright, however you want those wedges. And we'll put them in your bag for five or six rounds of golf. And if they're not what we say they are, send them back. We'll give you all your money back. We call it a demo program because we want you to try these wedges on your golf course, hitting the shots that you face every day, because that's the only way to evaluate a wedge. You may be able to buy a driver in a hitting bay with a launch monitor, but for a club like a wedge, you hit so many different kinds of shots with your wedges. I believe you need to take any wedges you're thinking about buying. You need to take those exact wedges to your golf course and hit the shots you face every day. You need to see how the ball flies. You need to see how it reacts on the green. You need to see how the ball comes off on a chip and a pitch and a lob shot, a flop shot, whatever you know how to hit. You need to feel turf interaction. So we said, we're so confident in our golf club. We can't win in the media. We're not going to win by going out and buying tour players. Let's win one golfer at a time by putting wedges in their hands and letting them see what we're making, letting them see what we've done to wedge performance. It requires patience, but it's kind of bold, but we know what we have and we just want to show golfers that. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and you are with us on the first episode of Season 8. We've done over 80 episodes of the Mod Golf Podcast, and I look forward to bringing you another 12 episodes over the next couple of months here. And today my guest is Terry Kaler, who is the Chairman and Director of Innovation at Edison Golf Company. The formation of Edison Golf Company and the introduction of Edison Forge Wedges are the pinnacle of Terry's 40-year golf industry career and entrepreneurial journey. Terry's passion is designing Edison Forged Wedges specifically for recreational players, not tour professionals. So it's about growing the game and creating markets and expanding, which is what we talk about all the time in the Mod Golf Podcast. So with that, hey, Terry, thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Well, thank you, Colin. It's uh, really nice to be able to, to visit with you about something I love and share this story with your listeners. And sharing stories is what we love here. And I know you've got a great story. Our earlier conversation this week really got a great feel for what you're doing. I managed to find you on LinkedIn, another contact of a mutual friend, looked at what you're doing there in the golf entrepreneurship space and innovation space. And I'm looking at this as like, Terry, how have I not heard of you before for the last four years? But here we are. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your story and hearing the story behind the Edison Golf Company. So with that, can you kind of distill it down for us to get us going a bit of a backstory here. Terry, tell us a bit about your personal and professional backstory that's led to the creation of Edison Golf Company. Sure, Colin. So I was very blessed to grow up in a little town in South Texas, and that nine-hole golf course was where we spent nearly all of our leisure time if we weren't fishing. So I was blessed with a father that was a very good player and a PGA professional that took a real interest in kids. And so I had a great background in golf and became a low single-digit player as a teenager. And and on into my adult years and had the opportunity to get connected to the golf industry in 1980 from an advertising agency standpoint of all things and secured the Ray Cook Putter Company account, which was based in San Antonio where I was. And from that, I started meeting other golf companies. I worked with Joe Powell Golf and Newman Leather and Odie Chrisman and other small golf companies. And being the kind of kid that always took my toys apart to see how they worked, I was always drawn to the back end 
of these businesses, how these clubs went together, what made them tick. And again, I'm blessed, have worked with some really brilliant golf club people back in the days, way before CAD files and launch monitors. And it was pretty much dead reckoning. I designed my first putter in the mid 80s and had some success on the PGA Tour, began to learn about the entrepreneurial side of things and kind of bobbed and weaved my way through a 40 year career of designing putters and wedges and irons. And I I really got focused on wedges in 1990 on a trip to Scotland uh, and came out of that with an idea that I eventually received a patent on on this sole design. I did a stint with the Ben Hogan Company in the early 90s, which kind of came back around to me in 2014. And I've started a few companies. Each one seems to evolve into the next one. And I tried retirement in 2016, and it really didn't stick. And I started writing my blog as the wedge guy again. And people said, you always have done the best wedges out there. Why don't you do wedges again? And I couldn't come up with a reason why not. I'm certainly not tired. And at 68 years old, I still got a lot of energy and a lot of ideas. And so that led to the development of Edison Golf in early 2018. Love it. Love it. So before we get into the story of Edison Golf Company, I just want to say what you talk about with your entrepreneurial journey here, that uh, sounds like retirement didn't quite fit for you. I'm a couple years younger than you, but I'm already thinking as an entrepreneur, I don't know if I ever want to retire. Maybe I don't want to go as hard as I do these days, but I don't think I'd ever actually want to just kind of hang it up and not do anything. I think you have all those classically positive traits of an entrepreneur for our conversations here, Terry, the fact that you're curious, you're resilient, you're tenacious, and you, you just want to discover things. I find it interesting that I've I've seen that you've got a degree in marketing from Texas A&M, but you have that mindset of an engineer or a product designer or industrial designer. So I find that you've brought all these other pieces in to create what you have here with the wedges. So before we get too deep into the actual forged wedges, can you tell me as as an entrepreneur and considering it as a startup company, in this case, because it's fair to say that Edison Golf is an early growth company and kind of in that late startup phase, where did you see the value proposition as far as how would you differentiate yourself from the Vokies of the world and some of the other manufacturers of wedges out there. So perhaps you tie in your wedge design and and the patents that you have. So what is your value proposition that you offer customers? Well, I think with any product, Colin, the value proposition, particularly with, with a golf club, but any product, the value proposition has to start with performance. If you see a void in an area and you believe you can fill that void with with a different set of performance criteria, then that's what thrills me. In the wedge category, and I've pointed this out for many years, and that wedges for the most part are really unchanged from the 50s and 60s even. I've got wedges in my collection that you could peel the graphics off and jazz them up a little bit, put new graphics on, and, and they're really essentially the same as the wedges that we've been given for the last two or three decades. I think there's a lot of reasons for that I can come back to, but in my many conversations with golfers and my analysis of almost 50,000 wedge fitting profiles from my companies, wedges are the most frustrating performance part of the golf bag. We've done tremendous things with driver technologies, irons technologies, putter technologies, hybrids came about to solve the long iron dilemma. But wedges, they're over there by themselves and and they don't change much. For the most part, a single piece of molded metal designed to propel the golf ball a certain way. And and they're finicky. I mean, I've put wedges on the Iron Baron Swing Robot for 20 years and they're very volatile. I mean, all of your listeners know when you hit that wedge shot high in the face, it doesn't go anywhere. Well, (laughs) it's not your fault. That's built into that golf club. And it happens to a tour professional. It happens to an amateur. When you hit the ball high in the face, there's no mass up there. 
So the ball can't take on the same energy or spin. And it's pretty simple physics when you're dealing with wedges. There's a lot of rocket science goes inside a driver, but a wedge is pretty much what you see is what you get. It's a single piece of molded metal most of the time. So what I did is I said, how can I help that recreational player who isn't spending hundreds and thousands of hours on their wedge play like tour professionals are? How can I help that player get more out of their average wedge shot without compromising the best ones that they do hit? So that's really what the Edison Forge design and all of my designs really for the last 30 years have been about how do I make the wedge a forgiving golf club without sacrificing its precision? And that's really something we've chased with all of our golf clubs is the ability to get away with the shots that we don't hit quite perfect. Yeah, well, I can certainly relate to that. I was out yesterday and I'm a 16 handicapper and I play twice a week. And I shot 89 yesterday. And of course, that wasn't all that long. And I had, I just looked at my scorecard this morning afterwards and looked at every hole. And I had my 54 degree wedge, which is a new wedge. I'm not going to name the company that I have it from, but it is a tour wedge. I had the shot left between 90 and 115 yards. And I had four times out of five, I hit it just a little bit fat and I was short of the green. One time I was in the green sign bunker, then made bogey every single time rather than putting for birdie. So I threw away easily eight strokes yesterday because I just couldn't make it happen yesterday. So using me as a textbook case study uh, or a persona of a potential customer, how would your club design affect what I did yesterday? Well, with all humility, I'm a golf club guy. So if you lay the sod over on it or if you catch it in the eyebrows, there's not one of us in the golf club business can fix that, Colin. I mean, I was watching some of the U.S. Open this morning and watched a tour player from 60 yards just completely lay the sod over on the ball and hit it halfway to the green. So a bad swing is a bad swing, and we guys in the club business can't fix those. We just can't do it. But one of the things about wedges that you have to understand is You've got a golf club that's laid back with 50, 55, 58, 60 degrees of loft. So the ball is going to be hit with a glancing blow because of that loft. That's one of the things that makes wedges much harder to master than, say, a seven iron. But then you add to that, if the ball was sitting up a quarter of an inch, let's say, because of the angle of the face, impact is going to move up the face about a half an inch. And when you start moving impact around on the face of a wedge, what I've learned through round after round after round of robotic testing, you lose a tremendous amount of energy because if you have a wedge handy and I invite all your listeners, pick up a wedge and look at it and look at the top two thirds of that golf club. And there's no meat up there. When a ball is hit up there, the smash factor, which typically you don't hear talked about in wedges, but the smash factor is the efficiency of the transfer of energy, to put it simply. Right. And when you hit that ball low in the face on a wedge, all the mass is behind impact and the smash factor is maximized. But when you move impact up a half an inch, three quarters of an inch, which is very common, then you're making impact up in the top part of the blade and the smash factor deteriorates on most any traditional tour wedge by 20 to 25%. Well, if you think about it from any angle, if I reduce the energy transfer by 20 to 25%, then I obviously cannot get the same distance out of the golf ball. And wedge play is, I don't care whether you hit a gap wedge 105 or 80 or 130, when you have that shot, that ball needs to go that distance. And whether you're a tour player or a 20 handicapper, Distance consistency with wedges is the biggest problem, and it's also caused by the club head itself many times. 
And again, if you lay the sod over on it or you hit it in the eyebrows, I can't fix those. But just because you missed the sweet spot by a quarter of an inch, my theory is you shouldn't be suffering. That's a pretty good shot for a recreational player to get within a quarter inch of perfect. So I've always approached it of how can I equalize smash factor around a bigger area of the face of the golf club than what every other wedge does. And one of the things that I think is just fascinating about golfers and their wedges, Colin, is my research is less than 2% of players think they're good enough to play a, a tour blade iron. Right. So 98% of people are playing some kind of a game improvement club, and game improvement means forgiveness. I can get away with my mediocre shots. But yet that same 98% of golfers are playing a tour-style wedge from one of the major brands, their favorite brand. And that wedge, I've seen it on Iron Byron, a pure muscleback blade pitching wedge from the iron set is a more forgiving golf club than any of the tour wedge designs. So you're handicapping yourself with a golf club, but why do they play that? Because pretty much that's all we've been given is those kind of wedges. And again, I invite you to go into the retail store and just look at the wedges with an open mind. Forget about the name and the graphics and the color of the finish. Look at where the mass is. And brand A, brand B, brand C, brand D, they all are pretty much the same golf club. And you're going to get pretty much the same performance because of that. Got it. Got it. So really curious to hear, again, from the entrepreneurial perspective here, as with Edison Golf Company, as a early growth, smaller company startup in that sense, how have you managed to scale up or get the message out there when you're competing against these companies, whether it's the Titleist and the Vokies of the world there, even though it sounds like directly you're not competing with them, which I think is great. You're looking for a completely different market. So what partnerships do you have in place so that to propel you forward here? What have you done over the last year or so that are really helping you accelerate some growth to get the word out there and get your clubs in, in recreational golfers' hands? We've started out very small. Obviously, we launched the company right as this COVID thing was happening. Right. I won't get into the politics of, of that, but it was the reality of what we're dealing with. So we didn't really know what 2020 was going to have. So we've been playing it very close to the vest. We've been really leveraging word of mouth. We've done some social media advertising. We've reached out to databases of friends and family that we've had. We've been very cautious to where our goal was to put wedges in golfers' hands and collect feedback to see if there was anything we needed to do with our process of how we put shafts together, grips together. We knew the club head was better than anybody's out there. We've tested it extensively through three to four rounds of prototypes for two years. So we knew the head design was better than anything out there. It's more forgiving, more accurate, spins better. We knew that. So it really is about patience. I think if the impatient entrepreneur, is, it doesn't exist. It's an oxymoron. If you're an entrepreneur, you have to be patient. You take things as they come at a fair price, if you will. We can't compete with the big brands for awareness. And we love doing interviews like this and tell people our story. And if it makes sense, the one thing we do different than anybody is we'll build you a set of wedges with the lofts you want, the shaft you want, the flex you want. We'll build it an inch long, one degree upright, however you want those wedges, and we'll put them in your bag for five or six rounds of golf. And if they're not what we say they are, send them back. We'll give you all your money back. We call it a demo program because we want you to try these wedges on your golf course, hitting the shots that you face every day, because that's the only way to evaluate a wedge. You may be able to buy a driver in a hitting bay with a launch monitor. You may even be able to buy a set of irons there. I don't personally like that. But for a club like a wedge, you hit so many different kinds of shots with your 
your wedges. I believe you need to take any wedges you're thinking about buying. You need to take those exact wedges to your golf course and hit the shots you face every day. You need to see how the ball flies. You need to see how it reacts on the green. You need to see how the ball comes off on a chip and a pitch and a lob shot, a flop shot, whatever you know how to hit. You need to feel turf interaction. So we said, we're so confident in our golf club. We can't win in the media. We're not going to win by going out and buying tour players. Let's win one golfer at a time by putting wedges in their hands and letting them see what we're making, letting them see what we've done to wedge performance. It requires patience, but it's kind of bold, but we know what we have and we just want to show golfers that. I love what you said there about entrepreneurs need to be patient, which is really hard for, I know as an entrepreneur myself, sometimes you want to do everything real fast, but sometimes it is like pushing a rope. You just can't do it. So along with curiosity and some of the other uh, characteristics I mentioned earlier that you embrace as an entrepreneur, you have 40 years in the golf industry to become patient, to actually see what works. So for all entrepreneurs out there and aspiring golf industry entrepreneurs, Patience and resilience and fortitude are paramount for your success. And Terry here is kind of the living embodiment of that. So and I just have to let it, let our listeners know here that this is not an infomercial. I just love what Edison Golf Company is doing. As an entrepreneur, I want to tell your story. So I'm really glad we're able to do that today, Terry. And just so people can check it out, we'll have it on the show page for this episode. And we'll also mention again at the end of the episode. But if you want to check out what Terry's doing with Edison Forged Wedges, you can go to www.edisonwedges.com. That's where you will find everything they have there. And looking at your website, I want to ask you about this. And you touched on a few of these as far as your risk-free demo and your wedge fit and your build your own. I love some of the stats here. Maybe you can talk about this a little bit more. The fact you say is better shot making guaranteed. I, lo- I love that. Bold and obviously you're backing that up. Saying uh, your wedges deliver more penetrating trajectories and reduce the long short dispersion pattern uh, for common tour design wedges up to 58%, leaving you 31 feet closer to the hole on your miss hits. I can definitely use that. Even yesterday, another one I actually hit. We only had 60 yards left, and I thought I hit it okay. Probably just a little bit too hard, maybe a little bit of a miss hit. And then I was at the back of the green, and I had myself a 70-foot putt when I had a red flag up the front. And, of course, I three-putted from there rather than getting the chance at birdie. So with that, how have you gathered that data to come up with that 58% number and that 31 feet closer? Maybe you can talk about that a little bit, Terry. In the club design process, Colin, what we do is when you're coming up with a club head design, you want to isolate that from the golfer, from the shaft, from outside influences to see what does this club head really do in an isolated environment? And and the only way to do that, every manufacturer uses the swing robot, the iron baron as it's called, but you use a robot and you have infinite control over exactly how much shaft lean you're putting on, your club head speed, your angle of descent. It's not like using live golfers because you have control over every swing variable. What we do in my protocol that I've been using for 20 years is we we take the golf club and we plot five impact points on the face of the club. And we plot where we've measured the center of impact is for the typical recreational golfer. And what we see is tour players tend to make contact two or three grooves lower on the wedge than the typical recreational golfer. That's because of their skill. It's because they play tighter cut fairways. There's a lot of influences there. So we we hit 10 shots from that center hit position. These are identical swings with the robot. Then we move over a half an inch toward the heel and hit 10. We move a half an inch toward the toe and hit 10. Then we move a half an inch up and a half an inch down. And we look at this dispersion pattern from long to short. We look at the spin differentials. 
We look at the launch angle differentials. We look at carry distance differentials, descent angle, overall carry distance. And what we found, and it's no surprise to any of your listeners, when your ball is sitting up a little bit in the rough and you feel impact high in the face, you feel it because it's kind of thin feeling up there because there's no mass. And you know that ball is going to come up short. What we've learned is on conventional tour design wedges. And I will just tell you, from 2008 to 2018, I did not see meaningful performance changes in any of the major brand tour design wedges. I'm just going to call them out. I didn't see that. They were focused on groove geometries and nuanced sole grinds, but they weren't moving the mass around in the golf club for the most part. So we saw what happened is that high face hit was costing you 49 to 53 feet and sometimes as much as 55 feet. Again, this is off a robot, isolated. This is an 85-yard shot with a 54-degree wedge, kind of the middle of the range. So we've said, how can we compress that 52 feet to where your best shot goes at least as far, but that high face shot goes a lot better? And we reduced our long short dispersion from 52 feet on average to 21 feet. So you hit it high in the face, it's 20 feet short instead of 50 feet short. I mean, to me, that's money. That helps the average golfer. The side effect of that, because we move so much mass up high in the golf club, our club looks like nobody else's wedge in the back because there's so much mass there and it's evenly distributed across the club head. I've learned cavity back is not a good thing in high loft golf clubs, even eight and nine hours, much less wedges. And I see companies continue to come out with cavity back wedges. We've tested them. They don't do what you want them to do. What we did is packed a bunch of weight up and high in the club head. And so we stabilized the smash factor, which then stabilized launch angle, energy transfer distance so that we give you a tighter dispersion pattern. But we did that with an eye to the fact that we could not afford to compromise that best shot because everybody hits great shots occasionally, some more often than others, right? You have to keep that as your your bar. We don't want your best shots to get worse, but we do want your worst shots to get better. And that's a fine line. And like I say, we went through three or four rounds of prototyping. We developed a 3D prototyping process. It was very interesting. And so we were making club heads and 3D printing and testing them. And then when we had it where we wanted, we created our tooling for the Forge Golf Club head and actually tested even better in our last prototypes. We were pleased with that. But it's about getting more out of your worst shots. And you think about that's why you play a big driver. It's why you play a hybrid instead of a three iron. It's why you play a big mallet putter maybe instead of a bullseye blade or an 8802. Nobody plays those old classics anymore because they're finicky. And wedges by design are very finicky. Whether you're a tour player or a 20 handicapper, you need to hit it right on the same groove every time to get the same distance every time. We're just not going to do that. So that was really the driving force behind the Edison design. But when we did that, we bumped spin tremendously because of a thing called gear effect. You can read about it on the website or we can go into that. There's this thing called gear effect. That's one of the laws of physics that applies to golf clubs. So spin went way up. And then we have our sole design to give you more versatile turf interaction. And our groove geometries are second to none. And then we balance all that out with a custom fit, custom build process. But that golf club head was designed and tested on our environment repeatedly to where I know that club head is simply better than everybody else's. What you as an individual golfer get out of it, now I have to factor in all of your particular swing characteristics. But I know the club head is more forgiving, longer, spins better than anything out there. 
Got it. Well, you answered already my next question here. I was going to ask you about that design process, that iterative, that iteration design process that you've done with your prototyping there over time with Iron Byron, getting the feedback loop in there and getting the data and then revising the design before you went to market. And you said that was three or four different iterations that you had of the design before you were comfortable or maximized what you had with your forged wedges? We probably went through eight or nine uh, designs in the computer-aided design, the CAD files. We prototyped three different designs before we fine-tuned it into the product that we actually tooled up. Each time fixing things that weren't doing what we wanted, accentuating things that were doing what we wanted. We just kept at it till we had a set of performance criteria and ball flight consistency, spin consistency. You know, one of the things we also learned testing conventional wedges is not only do these misses of a quarter inch, half an inch cost you a lot of distance, the spin variation was massive. So what we found is that on conventional tour design type wedges, pretty much any brand, as you move impact around this one inch circle on the face, you could see a 45 to 65% difference in spin. We all know that shot hit low on the face, the thin to win, it always is kind of a sizzler. There's a reason for that I can explain if you're interested. But that high face shot, that toe shot has almost no spin. I mean, they just come off really dead with spin. By doing what we did in design, we equalized the spin deterioration as well as the distance deterioration. So we see as little as 12% difference between a heel hit, a toe hit, a high face, a sweet spot, a low face hit, where other wedges are experiencing 45 to 65% spin difference. Got it. Got it. Well, I, I want you to hold off explaining what a sizzler is, because after we finish here with the audio podcast, we are also going to shoot a video trailer that we're going to put on our YouTube channel. So why don't we hold off on that so you can tell everybody when we're on the video what a sizzler is. So we can, we'll just hold off on that one there. So I'm also really interested to learn now that you are in market here, Terry, it sounds to me like the market, that massive golf market of over 15 million recreational golfers in the U.S., and even more obviously around the world, is that 10 to 30 handicapper that can really benefit from your forged wedges. So what are you finding already as far as your customers that are purchasing your wedges and are very, very interested in getting into the funnel there? Are you getting some feedback? Is it low handicappers? Is it everybody across? Is it brand new golfers? Because what you have here, of course, what's the thing with golf? You want to make it more fun. The better you play, the more fun it is. Because it can be an extremely frustrating game, as we both know at whatever level. So maybe you can touch on that a little bit, what you've actually found now in the first well that you've been in market there of who your customer demographics are. As I said, we've been delivering products since April, we've been growing every month. We have users that are club professionals. We have users that are very accomplished amateurs, single digit, low single digit, plus handicap. We have a lot of users that are 8s, 10s, 12s, 20s, and kind of universally across the spectrum, we're getting the same reviews and the same raves from golfers. And I talk a lot about tour players and that I don't really design wedges for them, but tour players very easily like these as much as a 20 handicapper. The, the thing about tour players that, and Bob Vokey and Roger Cleveland and Mike Taylor up in Fort Worth, they're some really smart guys that are very capable of working with tour players. They have a lot more experience than I do, but I've worked with tour players enough over the years. They can feel things in a golf club. They can see things in shot patterns that are just mind-boggling because they spend thousands of hours with their wedges. So 
As I mentioned earlier, this golf club launches differently, spins differently, feels different than anything you've ever played because it is very different. It's kind of like when Big Bertha hit the scene. I mean, it was half again bigger than anything we'd ever seen, and people laughed at it. I don't know if you were around in the 80s and early 90s, but people laughed at it till they hit it. I mean, it was just demonstrably better than whatever was in your bag, and so it was a half a season Every major brand is making an oversized driver, and then they all followed into titanium and bigger and bigger and bigger because it works. Technology that works cannot be denied. Titleist ditched the wound golf ball when Spalding introduced the Strata, and Marco Mira won the Masters and the U.S. Open with a three-piece golf ball. And all of a sudden, it was pretty obvious, this is the future of golf balls. You better catch up or you're going to get beat. So technology advances in golf never stay one place for very long. So But if you go back to that tour player, these guys have such refined games and they've spent so many thousands of hours perfecting these magical, mystical short games. If you put a wedge in their hand that immediately spins different, launches different, feels different, theoretically, you could negate a lifetime of short game practice. I like to use Justin Thomas's example. This guy has had tour player on his radar screen since he was a little bitty kid. While his other buddies were out running around having fun, he was having fun around the short game practice area and the practice range on the golf course, perfecting these magical skills. If you changed his wedge too much, all of a sudden he hits that shot that he knows what it's going to do. And it doesn't do that because he did intentionally hit it on the toe to do this, or he intentionally hit it a little high in the face to make it do that. Well, we recreational golfers, we don't even go to the range half of us. And if we do, it's not to spend five hours with our wedges. We just want to hit the ball somewhere in the face of the club and get good results. And the better player you are, the better you're going to appreciate this wedge to a degree. But the more typical recreational golfer you are, 12, 16, 20 handicap, you're going to hit shots in a round of golf. You're going to go, wow, I got away with that. Because you felt it high in the face, but it wasn't in the front bunker. It cleared the bunker and it's 20 feet short of the hole. And you didn't hit it perfect enough to knock the flag down, but you hit it good enough to not be in the bunker. Right. So short game skills and the desire to play better golf doesn't stop at any handicap, right? A 30 wants to be a 25 and a, a three wants to be a one. So we think we can help all of them. And that's the beauty of the game, the constant improvement that there's no finish line in golf, as we know. And that's one of the beauties of the game and the frustrations at the same time, I guess you can say. But that, that's what keeps us going here, which sounds like both you and I kind of keeps us going in entrepreneurship too. Always keep looking for that next thing or always constantly growing and evolving, just like we do with our golf game. So, hey, one thing I do love, you made that comparison to Big Bertha with what you're doing. And interestingly enough, the most downloaded episode we've ever had was with the only guest we've ever had that has never picked up a golf club before. And that was Professor Renee Morbone, who's the co-author of the business methodology called Blue Ocean Strategy. And she talked about how that applies to golf. And Big Bertha was one great example she gave. And with that Blue Ocean Strategy, the whole premise behind that, Terry, if you're not aware of this, you're actually doing this. And that is you're making the competition irrelevant. You're not trying to compete with the Clevelands and the Vokies of the world. You're looking for a different market segment that's even much bigger, kind of this untapped market segment to appeal to them and offer value in other ways, just like Big Bertha did. I love what you're doing here. I think the future is very bright for what you have here. And could be we, we get back on the podcast in a couple of years to get an update to see where Edison Golf Company is at that time. But before we finish up here, why don't you tell our listeners the best way that they can check out what you're doing with Edison Golf and Edison Wedges? You know, as you mentioned a while ago, we have a website, edisonwedges.com. 
And that's where our whole story is. You can go through our process called Wedge Fit, which will help you arrive at the shafts and the specifications and the lofts that we think will serve you best. We'll obviously build anything you want. We're just trying to help you arrive at that. And we will be planning as we go into this late fall and into next year, we're going to be taking a program to golf course professionals to be fitters and sellers of Edison wedges to take care of their golfers. Of all the clubs in your bag, I think wedges have to be evaluated and proven on your golf course hitting the shots you know. So we're very committed to PGA professionals. As I mentioned, they've had a great influence in my life. I've got a lot of friends that are PGA professionals. They seem to get the short end of the stick from the industry most of the time. So we're going to do what's called a green grass only distribution, which means if you don't have a golf course out your back door, I'm probably not going to let you get in the program to fit and sell our wedges because I think wedges have to be done there. And I have a luxury at this stage of my life, Colin, of doing things the way I've always thought they ought to be. I'm not a slave to market share. We got a great little company. It's already surpassing our goals. We have no delusions of knocking off the big boys by any means. They have all the money and and that's great. But I would like to address the comment about the Blue Ocean strategy. And actually, I read that book after really setting our pathway. But you mentioned 15 million golfers, and that's kind of the generally tossed around number of how many core and avid golfers we have that really buy all the equipment. So if you think about 15 million golfers are buying roughly two and a half million drivers a year. Okay, that's like one out of six of them are getting a new driver. They're buying about two and a half million putters. So roughly one out of six of them are getting a new putter every year. Mm-hmm. But these 15 million golfers are carrying 40 million wedges and buying a million of them a year. If you think of it, that seems to be a real disconnect. But I did a survey. I write a blog called The Wedge Guy on GolfWRX.com. And I did a survey of our readers and I asked them, what was the main reason you bought your last wedges? And only 18% of them said to get better. People don't have an expectation of getting better when they buy new wedges. And this may sound cynical or rude or whatever, but I think their history is every time they buy wedges, that doesn't make a big difference because essentially, as I've said, they're buying the same wedge over and over and over with a nuanced sole grind or maybe one degree different loft. But when you take a wedge, it's a 300 gram golf club head. If you don't move at least 60 or 70 grams of weight, you're not going to do much to that golf club. On a driver, which is 200 grams, you can move 12 or 15 grams on that club and make an impact. But on a 300 gram wedge head, you can't make an impact moving six, eight, 12 grams of weight around. You just can't do it. You're going to really get bold and aggressive moving weight around if you're going to really try to dramatically change performance. So that's what we did. And these may not be for everybody, and I'm okay with that. But so far, I haven't met somebody that didn't like the performance. So that's a good thing. Knock on wood. Yeah, well, I haven't had a chance to get one in my hands yet. Looking at the website, the design is beautiful. They're a sexy looking wedge. I'll give you that. Also on the aesthetics of the wedge, which I realize you probably do a form follows function approach on this, but you've got some good looking wedges there also, Terry. Congratulate you on that. So with that, let's wrap that up. So hey, Terry Kaler, Chairman and Director of Innovation at Edison Golf Company. Terry, thanks for your time today, for your thought leadership and your knowledge. And we're just scratching the surface here in the 30-so minutes we were together here. I will, in the show notes, of course, as promised, have the link to edisonwedges.com. We'll have a page up there with uh, Terry's bio on there, too. We'll put a link there to the Wedge Guy blog that you have. So we'll make sure that people uh, can find you easily and learn more about all the good things that you do. And we'll also include all the social media handles that you've got going there for Edison Wedges too. So, hey, Terry, thanks very much for being a guest today on the Mod Golf Podcast. It's been great. I really enjoyed this. 
Thank you, Colin. I've enjoyed it too. Appreciate it. All right. You take care. Bye for now. So that's a wrap for the first episode of Season 8 of the Montgolf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Terry Kaler, Chairman and Director of Innovation at Edison Golf Company. If you'd like to learn more about Terry and the Edison Golf Forged Wedges, visit our show page where we've included website links and additional content. Speaking of additional content, I invite you to check out the bonus Zoom video interview Terry and I recorded that we posted on the Mod Golf Podcast YouTube channel. This video link is also on the episode's show page, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. Please join me next time when my guest is Malcolm Scoville, founder of Imagine Golf. I'd like to express my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the Mod Golf podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you go to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.